So we are now going to begin our personal growth Chabura. We study together every Wednesday night at 8.30 to 9.30. We go through the Parsha of the week, or we go through the Inyane Diyoma, the matters that pertain to the holidays or to the events of the Jewish calendar, to get a deeper appreciation of how the Torah relates to us. We have to make the Torah personal. The Torah is, the word Torah is teaching. God is teaching us to connect with him through the words of the Torah. The Torah is Could everyone? Yeah. The Torah is God's mind. So when we study the Torah, we're studying God's mind what he wants, his will for the world. And we, we, we relate to the Torah. We connect with God's mind, with God himself, so to speak. So we stand two days before Sukkot. And Sukkot is the holiday whereby we sit in a sukkah and we sit really in the shade of God, in the shadow of Hashem. We leave our physical abode, our physical, strong, beautiful homes, our apartments, the bricks and mortar that we th that think we think make us safe. And we go out and we sit under branches. And the halacha is you have to see the stars, which means that it's not a very secure roof. Now I had a, I had a house like that once where you could see the stars through the roof. It wasn't that a secure house. It was a little bit of a bidi evan. You don't feel that secure in a house that you can see the stars through the roof. But here we sit in the roof in this house for eight days, seven days of Sukkot and one day of Shemini Atzeres. And we sit in nothing but the shade of God. So the purpose of Sukkot is to instill in us emunah. Emunah means faithfulness. Not just faith, but faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to the, the Torah that we committed to at Mount Sinai. Not just faith in God. Of course we believe in God. Look outside. You go outside and you see the trees and the stars, the sunset, the sunrise. We couldn't have possibly made any of that. Of course we believe in a God who made this physical world. We couldn't have made it. That's not what faith means. That's not what faithfulness means. Of course we believe in God. That's not faith. That's a given. That's knowledge of God. Faith means I believe in the God who believes in me. That's what faith means. I believe in God who interacts with me, who's my personal God, who guides me personally. Each of us say, I believe in God who believes in me. That's what Emunah is. And that's why we sit in the sukkah for eight days, seven days plus one day, in order to instill in ourselves the idea that God believes in ourselves. Let me share with you a story of how I did not believe in myself. I did not have faith. And when we learn what we didn't have, from there we can learn what we do have. 
I lived in London, England for nine years as the rabbi of the New West End Synagogue. This was in downtown London, not too far from Buckingham Palace. And we lived across the street from Kensington Palace, where Princess Diana and Prince Charles lived. Literally 200 yards from the palace. My kids would play in the gardens right next to the palace. Every Shabbos, every Yontif, when we had the opportunity, we'd go in the playground right opposite the palace. So we lived downtown about 30, 35 minutes away from Golders Green, which is the Jewish area. We lived downtown, far from the Jewish area. It was a very beautiful synagogue, the new West End Synagogue. Google it, take a look. It was built in 1879 by the Montagues, the Rothschilds, Vicant Samuel, who authored the Balfour Declaration, was in my synagogue. There's a seat with his plaque on his name saying that he sat in the shul on the first row, Vicant Samuel, Herbert Samuel, and Lord Balfour. And I had to leave every morning from downtown London to go to Golders Green by car to drive my kids to the corner bus stop where the girls would get on one bus, the boys would get on another bus, to go to the respective schools. It was the same corner, one bus went that way, one bus went that way, and if I made it by 8.32 a.m., we would make both buses within a minute of each other, kids would go off to school, and that would save me about an hour and a half of driving. If I got there at 8.33, I'd miss both buses, and it would cost me an hour and a half driving to this school and driving to that school to get the kids to school. In order for me to be there at 8.32, I had to leave every morning after I, my synagogue's minion. We started at 7. I had to leave by 8.02. If left 8.03, we wouldn't make it. Now, of course, we had little kids. Kids don't cooperate. For a living. That's what they do for a living. They don't cooperate for a living. So invariably, I would miss the bus. We would leave at 8.03. Can't we get the kids to get their act together? I'm in synagogue with my community. The kids get ready. Boys school, girls school. I got very frustrated. So one morning, it happened. The kids weren't ready till about 8.03. I knew it. And I got upset and frustrated, and I'm muttering to myself, and I'm upset with myself, and I'm upset with my wife, and I'm upset with the kids, and driving all the way through Swiss Cottage and Finchley and getting to the bus stop, and oh, I know the bus is not going to make it. Maybe it will be late. No, it wasn't late. Missed the bus. Driving to school. So I got to the Base Yaakov School, at about 10 past 9. School starts 8.45, but 10 past 9. You walk to the gate, and there's a guard, because in London, everything is very, very secure. You have to press a button to get into the, into the building, into the courtyard to get into the building. 
So I brought my daughter, Rivka, who was seven at the time, to the first gate. And as I brought her to the gate, I looked over about 100 feet down from the first gate. There's a second gate. And another little girl was also coming late at 10 past nine. So I said, I'm not the only one. Great. So there's a second gate, another guard, the letter in. And my daughter, Rivka, seven, and the other little girl who was four or five, were walking toward the front door of the building and a beeline to meet each other at the same time. I'm watching from the black gate, and I saw my daughter meet the little girl as she made it to the gate, to the front door, and my daughter, who's seven, leaned in, bent over to the little girl and said something to her, took her by the arm, like this, by the shoulder, and guided her into the school. And I stood there, and I watched my seven-year-old acting like a little mother's helper to a four-year-old. And I looked and I watched and I go, wow. Had I been on time for the bus, I would never have seen this. So thank God I was late to be privileged to be able to see my daughter learning the midos, the values, the character of being kind to another little girl was a great privilege. It was a great honor to be late. I asked her that evening what she said to the girl. She said, what class are you in? I'll take you to your classroom. She did say it with a British accent. What class are you in? And my kids spoke with British accents. And my eldest daughter still has her British accent. When we moved to Baltimore, after nine years in, in England, the girls kept their accents because the girls' schools loved it. The boys' schools made fun of the boys, so they lost their accents very quickly. That's an example of me having been frustrated and not having faith in God. Why? Because I was frustrated with God. Why didn't you allow me to make it on time to make the bus? I was angry at God. Why are you doing this to me? And yet God has something else in mind. God said, have patience. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Whatever happens in life is good. God does not do bad. We created bad. By our not listening to God, we created Ra. God only does good. We don't see it necessarily as good because the definition of good is not pleasure. Sometimes we have things that happen in our lives which are not pleasurable, but they're still good. Because the word tov in Hebrew Tov, in a particular system of understanding called atbash, 
where Aleph is put next to a Taf, the last letter. The first letter is made opposite the last letter of the alphabet. The second letter, Beit, is put next to the second last letter, Resh. Shin. Then Gimel, Resh. Kuf, Pei. And if you do it in that system, the word Tov, it corresponds to the word nefesh, soul. It is good because it is for the soul. It may not be pleasurable. I may not like it. It may not be a pleasurable experience for me. And I say it's bad, but it's not bad. It's good because it's good for my soul because the purpose of these happening, things happening is for me to learn something. Whatever happens in life, is for me to learn something. That's what emuna means. Faithfulness, not faith. Of course we believe in God. God's the creator. But faithfulness means I believe in what God does for me. How God interacts with me. And I'm faithful to God's guidance because he is not only the creator, but he's also the supervisor. In every, every restaurant, has a mashkiach. A mashkiach is a supervisor. God is the ultimate mashkiach. He's the ultimate supervisor. And that word is called hashgacha pratit. Divine providence. Divine supervision. Divine involvement in our lives. Yes, Emmanuel. Questions, please. I want to unmute. Can you unmute yourself, Emmanuel? I was just asking if invite someone. I don't know if okay we want other participants no problem you can ask a question anytime anybody wants to ask a question please anytime so faithfulness means that i'm faithful to the relationship that i have with god and i need to be patient with god because i don't necessarily see What's good about this situation right now? Because God sees the big picture, and I'm just looking at a keyhole, a small slice of life. And therefore, faithfulness means I'm faithful to the concept that God is the creator and supervisor. And he is our personal supervisor. And that's what divine providence, divine hashgacha, hashgacha pratit, personal private divine providence that God is involved in our lives every day. That's the message of the sukkah. How do we get there? Abraham, Abraham was the beginner of the relationship with God and he is compared to Passover, Pesach. Abraham was the beginner of the relationship with God Pesach is the beginning holiday where we came out of Egypt as a nation 
And therefore, Abraham is Keneged Pesach. He brought to the world the concept of chesed, kindness. So Abraham Avinu, Abraham, brought to the world chesed. He is Keneged Passover. Yitzchak, his son, brought to the world the attribute of givura, strength, justice, din. He is connected the holiday of Shavuot, the time of getting the Torah. Yaakov, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he brought to the world the concept of Tiferes, harmony, known as MS, truth. That's Keneged Sukkot. So Abraham is Keneged Pesach, says as Fasemes. Yitzchak is Keneged Shvuas, and Yaakov is Keneged Sukkot. In the Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 11, the verse says, Tsena ureena benos Zion, go out and see daughters of Zion, the Melech Shlomo, in the King, look at the King of Solomon, King Solomon, the Atara Sheitra Loimai on the crown. See the crown that his mother crowned him with, his mother Bathsheba, Biom Chatunasai on the day of his wedding, Ubiyom Simchas Dibo on the day of his joy, the joy of his heart. The Gemara in Tanis says, Yom Chatunaso, the day of God of. Solomon's wedding is the giving of the Torah. When man, the Jewish people, married God at Mount Sinai, and the ring, the, the ring was the Ten Commandments. Mount Sinai was the chuppah. There were flowers, there were very good florists, there were flowers all over the mountain. The music was thunder and lightning. And the ring that God gave the Jewish people was the Ten Commandments. That was the day of, says the Talmud, the meaning of the written word. You cannot understand the written word of the Torah without the oral law. The oral law is the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that his wedding day was the wedding at Mount Sinai. And the day of his joy was the day of his building the Beit HaMikdash. His building the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon, the son of David, at the age of 12 years old, became king. And then he embarked upon a process of many years to build the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, on the place that King David bought that field, that place. He bought it from Aravna, the Jebusite. And on that place, his son, Solomon, built the temple. And that's called the day of his joy, when he built the temple and dedicated the temple, Hanukkah Sabais. And let's notice how the word is referred. The temple is called Beit Hamidash, the house of holiness. So the Gemara says, that place of holiness, that house of holiness, was the place of the Akedah. 
we don't go to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, just because it's a nice sentimental place to go to with a nice wall. At that very place, Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac on, the, on that rock, which is on the Temple Mount. Abraham called it, that place he called it a mountain, Bahar Yerah. Yitzchak, his son, went out at Mincha time in the afternoon to pray Mincha, as it says, Yitzchak Lasuach Basade. Yitzchak went out to speak to God in the field. So Yitzchak didn't call that same place a mountain. Abraham called it a mountain, but Yitzchak called it a sadeh, a field. Yaakov, when he had his dream of angels going up and down the ladder at that very place, in his dream, he said, This is none other than the house of God. So this very place, where the Akedah took place, Abraham called it a mountain, Yitzchak called it a field, and Yaakov called it house of God, Beit Elohim. Abraham, when he went out and he called it a mountain, he established the, the morning prayer, Shacharis, Shacharit, the morning prayer. Yitzchak, when he went out to the field of the afternoon, he established Mincha, the afternoon prayer. In the evening at nighttime, Yaakov established Mariv, the evening prayer. My Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe says, it's an unbelievable idea. My Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Shapira Zatzal says the following. We don't pray Shachwis, Minchan, Marev, morning, afternoon, and evening. We don't pray the same prayer three times. The same words, the Amida, 19 blessings, same words, morning, afternoon, and evening. Says Rabbi Moshe, we don't pray the same way three times. We don't say the same prayer three times. We say three different prayers at three different times, meaning three different relationships with God. The morning prayer is the morning of chesed. Avram brought chesed to the world. And he said, oh, Hashem, you, you gave us blossoms, dawn, birds chirping. It's a morning, a new day. How do you feel in the morning? In the morning, we feel invigorated. Ah, give out the new day after we get up and we go, oh, I can't believe it's morning already. When we wake up and we have the third coffee, cappuccino, with an extra shot. We get up and go, Mode ani lefanecha. Wow, I'm alive. Wow. Praise the Lord. That's morning. That's a morning prayer. That's a chesed prayer. Wow, I see the light. I can see the light. Praise the Lord. I see the new the dawn. I have a new day. That's a morning prayer. An afternoon prayer, says Rav Moshe, is at the end of the day, we reflect on our day, 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, depending on the time of the year, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And we reflect back to our general, 
and report back and say, I'm a soldier in the field. I worked on the field all week long in the field. General, commanding officer, sir, I did this today. I did this today. I worked on myself today. I did kindness today. I did chesed today. I served you today. I did good work. I was honest today. I'm reporting back, sir. Thank you, sir. Mincha is reporting back to the general. That's not the same type of prayer as Shachris. Shachris is, good morning, near day, I'm going to serve the general today. Afternoon prayer, Mincha is, general, colonel, I did this today, I'm reporting back. I give the day back to God. That's called justice. That's a prayer of justice, of din. I did this with my day, and I have to give an accounting to God how I used my day. That's mincha. It's not the same type of prayer as mashachris. The same words, the same bowing, the same grant me wisdom, grant me re uh, repentance, grant me health, grant me a good life, grant me parnasa, same words. But the quality, the essence, the tamsis of the prayer is a different prayer. Shachris is chesed, mincha is din. I report back as I am obligated to report back to the general. This is what I did with my day, sir. At 0400, 0400 I did this. And at 0200, I did this. And at 1200, I did this. I'm reporting back with the goods you gave me. This is what I did for you, God. Mariv, evening service. When Yaakov established the, the nighttime service and the sun set and he slept and he had a dream of angels going up and down the ladder, that's the prayer of nighttime. Nighttime is choshech. Choshech, darkness, comes from the word chasachta. When God said to Abraham, you didn't hold back your son. Lo chasachta es bincha yechidecha. You didn't hold back. Uncle says, chasachta means manata. You didn't withdraw, withhold your son from me. I told you to sacrifice your son, to offer him up as an offering. You didn't hold him back. Darkness means, nighttime means, holding back of light. It's a totally different kind of prayer than shachras and mincha. Mariv, the evening prayer in the nighttime, in darkness, is a prayer of existential aloneness. I'm alone. Anybody here fears creaks at night in your house? What was that? What was that noise? You don't feel that way in the daytime. In the daytime, there's a noise. Oh, I'll go see what it is. At nighttime, you hear a noise. You go, can you go downstairs? Darling, can you go downstairs? No, no, I'm not going downstairs. What was that? Was that Robert? What, what was that? At nighttime, we get shaky. At nighttime, we hear creaks. At nighttime, we're alone. At nighttime, we're scared. Why? Because the light is withheld and we are alone. That perhaps is the most poignant prayer, Mariv. The evening prayer is a prayer of, help me, oh God, I'm alone. That's the prayer that Yaakov Avinu established. The prayer of aloneness. And all I have is God. I, ha I can't see. Without artificial light that was established 125 years ago, there was no such thing as light. 
LED lighting 125 years ago. Thomas Edison, Edison, New Jersey. Verizon, whatever we, we pay for. There was no such thing that darkness was darkness. They went to sleep at six o'clock at night because it got dark. There's nothing to do. There's no television. No entertainment. They went at six and got up at five. Had lanterns, perhaps. Kerosene. But there was no light. It was dark. It was scary. On a farm with creaks and noises and howling and animals. It was scary. This artificial light that we have today takes away some of the pain of darkness. But existentially, we are alone at night. We're in darkness. And Yaakov was the one who called this place Ein, Ein Zekim Beit Elohim. This is the house of God. Do we know how they, they prayed at night I mean, prior to kerosene and prior to, how did they do it? Rashi's time, I mean. They prayed you know, the words that the Talmud tells us they prayed. They prayed the words that were prayed at the time they brought the offerings. In the in the in the temple, they were they offering they offered korbanos sacrifices. At the same time, they offered certain prayers. Those are the prayers they said, and probably had to memorize them. But in synagogues in Europe, they only had one one prayer book in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And if you look at the synagogues in in Europe, all the prayers are written on the walls of the synagogue. You go in the synagogue, and all the prayers are on the wall. They're etched and engraved in the wall. They're painted on the walls. Because they didn't have printing presses until middle 1500s. And to print books was expensive. There were no printed Talmuds. That's why the burning of the Talmud in the 13th century in France was so tragic. 24 Barrels full, wheelbarrows full of carts full of, of Talmudic books were burned. What a great tragedy because there were so few Talmudic volumes. So, in this place, what was there when Yaakov called that place, this is home, this is Beit Elohim, the house of God? There was only one thing there a rock, one rock called the Eben HaShesiyah, the foundation stone, which the Talmud said was the foundation stone that God used to expand the whole world. That was the foundation stone. That's called Zion. That place is called Sion. Sion was the foundation stone. That's where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, about to sacrifice him. That's where Yaakov had his dream. That's where the, the earth underneath that stone was the place upon which Adam was formed from. That's where Noah sacrificed when he came out of the ark. We point toward that place because that's the place where man meets God. Beit Elohim means the house where man encounters God. That's the portal. The connection of place between God and man. And that's why when we daven here in Baltimore, wherever we are, we face Mizrah, we face the east, because you want to face our soul wants to connect with that place. 
It's not a cool idea, a nice idea, a neat idea that we have to face toward Jerusalem three times a day when we pray. It's because I want my soul to connect with the source, the place where man meets God. And what happened there? In his dream, he saw Malachim, angels going up and down the ladder. Malachim, oilim v'yordim bo. Up and down, bo, the ladder. Says the altar of Slobodka. He says, bo does not mean that they went up and down the ladder. It means they went up and down, bo, him. The angels went up and down, Yaakov. He had an up and down life. He was chased by Esau, wanted to kill him. He was tricked by Lavan, but marrying the wrong girl, Leah instead of Rachel. His daughter got kidnapped and raped. His son Yosef was kidnapped and didn't see him for 22 years. His sons destroyed Shem. He feared for his life. There was a famine in Israel. He had to go down to, down to Egypt at the age of 130. Lived his last 17 years in exile in Mitzrayim in Egypt. That was not an easy life. Up and down. The, the, he had some joys. He had 12, 12 sons, one daughter. So it says when he went to sleep, he put 12 stones around his head to protect himself. And the morning, they all merged into one stone. Which means that told him, the sages tell us, that means that you're going to have 12 stones, 12 sons are going to come out of you. And all the 12 stones became one. They believed in one God, one unity. Where? In this home. This is the home where you meet God. That's what's called Beit Hamikdash. And our homes are called a mikdash me'at. Our own homes are called a mini mikdash. Friday night, when you light candles, those candles are the candles of the menorah in the temple. When you set your table, the table is the shulchan, the mizbeach. It is the shulchan of the 12 showbreads of the temple. The songs we sing Friday night are the songs of the Levites at the temple. The warmth and connection of a husband and wife on Friday night and the family is the warmth and connection represented by the representative of God's connection to the Jewish people. Everything we do in our homes is a symbol of the temple in, the, in Jerusalem. Our home is called a Migdash Me'at, a mini temple. Our bodies, our home, is like the home of Yaakov Avinu that he established when he called it Beis Elohim. And what do we do? We take that Migdash Me'at and we bring it into the Sukkah. In the Sukkah, there's nothing there but a stone. The stone, the Evan Hashasiyah, the foundation of connection with God. That's what's there. There's nothing there. There's no heater unless you bring one in. There's no lights unless you attach them. In the sukkah, there's nothing there but a stone, a foundation stone of relationship with God. We live in faith. 
for eight days. Seven days of Sukkot, one day of Shemini Yatzeret. We live in that idea of the relationship between God and man that was established in that place by Adam. His body was made from there. His earth was made from there. Noah sacrificed to God from that place, in that place. Abraham was about to offer up Yitzhak there. Yaakov had his dream there. That's the place of relationship with God. That's the house of God. And therefore, Sukkot is a time where we can instill in our hearts emuna, faithfulness, for the whole year. Whatever trouble you're going to go through the whole year, and we're going to have challenges in life, and I hope they're not going to be, and I wish everybody many, many, many problems. I miss you many, many problems this year. Because my teacher, Rabbi Tversky, says, if you have the big problem, the big one, then all the other little things don't count. I lost my keys. The supper got burned. Why were you late? Why did you tell me to take out the garbage? Why did you say that to me? You hurt my feelings. All that means nothing. It's all irrelevant. If a person has the big one, the big problem, you know what I'm talking about, the big one. So I wish you many, many, many problems, little problems, because those we can handle. But the big one, lo So in the sukkah, we have emuna. Emuna means we say amen. Amen means I agree. When you say amen to a blessing, you're saying I agree. It is true. What is true in the sukkah? The Rosh Yeshiva of their Israel Yeshiva. Rav Yaakov Weinberg, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, used to say the following three words. And this is the most important line of this shir. I want you to all write it down. I want you to write this down. I want you to memorize it. I want you to put it on the wall of your sukkah. And let this be your mantra and your motto for life. The amuna, the truth is, when we go into the sukkah, there's nothing there, F.S. Zulasoi, but God. There's nothing but God. And he said, the Rosh Hashiva said, there is a God. I'm in his hands. And that's a good place to be. We say those three sentences. You are living in faithfulness. There is a God, I'm in his hands, and that's a good place to be. That's what we do when we sit in the sukkah. The Torah tells us, why do we sit in the sukkah? So in Vayikra, Leviticus, chapter 23, it says, Your nation shall know, your generation shall know. I place the Jewish people in a sukkah. When I took them out of Egypt, I am God. There are other miracles in the desert. There was the well of Miriam that kept gave them water throughout the desert 40 years. There was a manna that fell for 39 years, 39 and a half years. Why don't we commemorate why don't we eat manna? 
spend seven days and eat manna. Make a honey dish and fill it with crumpets and eat manna for seven days. Why don't we have a wa water? Well, we do have a water holiday, but the bear. We don't celebrate the bear. We don't have a well and go out to the well for seven days. Why is the only miracle of the three miracles that happened, the manna, the, the water, the bear, the well, and the clouds of glory, because that's what the God meant, says Rashi, the clouds of glory. Why is that the only one we commemorate in the sukkah, with the sukkah? Says the Siva Shalom, because that is eternal. God's protecting us with the clouds of glory is eternal. Having food for 40 years is temporary. Water for 40 years is temporary. But faith is forever. So we only commemorate a holiday if it has a forever element, an eternal element. The sukkah has the element of faithfulness. We sit in the clouds of glory. And when we sit and we enter into the sukkah, we're entering and we're breathing the same air that they breathe in the desert. The air of faith. Because Rav Dasar tells us we don't mark time linearly. That here's the first year going out of Egypt. Here's the second year. Here's the third year. And now we're in 5781. So we look back and we go, whoa, that was a long time ago. Look at that timeline a long time ago. Says Rav Dasar, we don't mark time in a line. We mark time in a spiral. Here was the first year. Here was, the, here was the second year. Same place. Here is the third year. Here was the 4,000th year. We come back to the same spot, the same spiritual vector every year, which means we enter the same time warp that occurred then. So we come into the beginning of the year of Passover, and then we have Shavuos, and then we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we come to Sukkot. We're re-experiencing the same Sukkah that they experienced when they came out of Egypt. So when you walk into the Sukkah, you're breathing the same air of faith they believed, and they breathed when they came out of Egypt and saw the miracles of the splitting of the sea, the ten plagues, the leaving of Egypt, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and they lived in the faith of God. When you walk into that sukkah on Friday night, and it's a mitzvah doraisa, it's a Torah commandment Friday night that everyone has to sit in the sukkah for five minutes. Make a bracha, leshev sukkah and a shechianu, but everyone has to sit in the sukkah for five minutes at least, Friday night, have something to eat, and absorb. The air of Abuna, the air of faith that they experience. We're going to re-experience it, relive it, rebreathe it when we walk into the sukkah Friday night. All other days are optional, Friday night and Saturday day. All other days you don't have to go in. You should. We're supposed to have 14 meals in the sukkah twice a day and try to go into the sukkah every day, have a bite to eat, make a bracha. But at least the first night is a mitzvah doraisa. All the other days, day two and following, are dirabanan, are rabbinical requirements. But this is a doraisa, a Torah commandment to sit in the sukkah on Friday night.
King David created, he bought the land that Solomon built the temple on. What happened to King David? King David was rejected by his family. What happened was that his father, who descends from Ruth the Moabite, after many years of marriage to his wife, and he had seven sons, seven sons, he thought maybe Ruth did not convert properly. Why? Because the Torah says that a, Mo, a Moabite man is not allowed to convert because they were evil people. And the halacha, the law was not yet established at that time whether or not a Moabite woman was allowed to convert. The halacha is that a Moabite woman is allowed to convert because they were not evil, but the men were evil. They didn't give water to the Jewish people as they came across on their way into Israel. But the Moabite women were at home. They didn't participate in that evil act. And therefore the Torah says, a Moabite woman can convert. But there was doubt in the halacha at that time. Boaz, who eventually married Ruth, he knew the halacha. He was ahead of Sanhedrin. He said, a Moabite woman is allowed to convert, and that's why I'm marrying her. She converted to Judaism. She was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She converted to Judaism, and therefore she's a legitimate convert, and I'm going to marry her. And that night, they conceived a son named Oded. And Oded became the grandfather of King David. But Oded's son was Ishai. And Ishai, the father of David, was not sure. It was not, it was a developing halacha. The halacha was known by Boaz and certain people of the Sanhedrin, but not everybody knew that halacha, that law, that a Moabite woman is allowed to convert. After having seven children with his wife, Nitzabet, his, wife his wife's name was Nitzabet, says the Talmud, he said, you know what? Maybe my grandmother, Ruth, was not Jewish, which makes me illegitimate, which makes my sons illegitimate. I am going to separate from my wife. He separated from her for many years. So he said to his non-Jewish servant, woman servant, you know what? You're a slave. I may not be Jewish. I'm going to free you. And we're going to have a legitimate non-Jewish marriage. I'm going to be, I'm not Jewish. You're not Jewish. We'll get married. I'll have more children. And then we'll convert back to Judaism afterwards. No, he can't do that. We'll have non-Jewish children. We'll have non-Jewish children. You want them more children. So this handmaiden of Nitzabet, of the wife of, of, of uh, David, said to her, you know, your great-great-grandparents, Rachel and Leah, switched places when they married Yaakov. It was supposed to be Leah, but I, you switched and Rachel got under the chuppah. Tonight, I'm going to switch places. You're going to go instead of me. I'm supposed to marry Ishai, your husband. I don't want to marry your husband. It's your husband. You marry him again. They switched places. And Nitzavet married her husband, again, unbeknownst to Yishai. Three months later, she was pregnant. The sons and the whole community says, you were separated from your wife. 
Nitzeva is pregnant, she is liable for the death penalty. She committed adultery. She's still married, didn't get a divorce. She committed adultery. She has to die. Yishai said no. Leave her be. The baby was born six months later. His name was David. David was shunned by his brothers, seven brothers, and the whole community. Anything that happened bad, they blamed it on David. So they sent him out into the fields to be a shepherd. Get away from here. Get away from town. You're embarrassing us. You are an illegitimate child. He was isolated and rejected for 28 years. That's where he began his journey of connection to God in his pain, in his existential loneliness. He didn't feel close to his family, but he turned to God in the fields and he became the sweet singer of Israel. And he composed to Tehillim in the fields as a rejected person for 28 years of pain and existential loneliness and pain and aloneness. That's where he began. That in that pain, he became King David. And at the age of 28, God told Samuel the prophet to go and the house of Ishai and anoint the next king of Israel after Saul lost the kingship. And Samuel said, the oldest son? God said, no. Second son? No. Third son? Not him. Fourth son? No. Five, six, no. Uh, Samuel said to Ishai, you have any more sons? Uh, well, uh, sort of. Yeah, where is he? Uh, he's in the fields. Call him. As David's coming up from the fields as a shepherd, God says in the ear of Samuel, that's him. Anoint him as the next king of Israel. The rejected one, the isolated one, the illegitimate one. He's going to be the next king of Israel. And so it came to be. And David was the one who said the most powerful words in the whole of Tanakh. He said to Goliath, Goliath, And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a javelin, a spear, and a sword. I come to you with the name God, Lord of Lord of hosts. The God of the legions of Israel, Asher Harafta, that you have taunted and you have embarrassed. This rejected person, isolated, alone, rejected by his family, by the community, who developed a relationship with God, said the most powerful words ever to be said by any prophet of Israel or any person. You come to me with a sword, a javelin, and a spear. I come to you with the name of God, Lord of hosts. That's emuna. That's faithfulness. Where did he get it from? Where did David get it from? He got it from his grandmother, Ruth, who converted to Judaism legitimately because she cleaved to the faithfulness of Nomi, her mother-in-law. And he picked up five stones with which he took in his hand and one he put in a slingshot and he slung it at Goliath and it hit him in the one place he was not protected in the, in the, in the forehead. 
and he fell down and he ran and took his sword and he killed him. The five stones say Chazal are the five words of the Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is the same word, Echad. Hashem is mentioned twice in that verse. So the five stones that David used were the five stones of strength that he used to say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Five stones. The five stones of faith. That's how he defeated Goliath. With the belief and trust in one God. At the time of King David, there was a plague. 100 people died a day in a plague in the time of King David. No one knew why. King David said, I am going to reinstitute the law of people saying 100 blessings a day. There's a law in the Torah which says that we have to say 100 blessings a day. What are they? 15 blessings of the morning. We say, thank God I opened my eyes. Thank God you give me clothes. Thank God you didn't make me a slave. Thank God that I have strength to walk. 15 blessings. 19 blessings of the Amida, the Shmon Esrei. Of Shacharis, the morning prayer. 19 blessings of Mincha. 19 blessings of Marid. Grace after meals, four blessings. Twice a day, that's eight blessings. Add them up. Going to the washroom, every time you go to the bathroom, you say a blessing after going to the bathroom. I know many people, does anyone here know a person who has a a colosp, a colosp bag? I spoke to a client today who used to have a bag. Collect the waste. But we say, say a blessing after going to the bathroom? How? Gosh, no. A blessing after going to the bathroom is a blessing of thankfulness to God that my system works. So we have to make 100 blessings a day. That, that was known. That law of 100 blessings a day was already known to the Jewish people. In the Torah it says, Ma Hashem What does God ask of you? The Talmud says, Ma means Me'a, 100. What does God ask of you already? Just fear him, love him. That's all you got to do. The Gemara says, you know what? Ma, what God wants of you? Me'a. He wants Me'a. He wants 100. 100 what? 100 expressions of gratitude that you are God and I am a recipient. The Rambam in Hilchos Tefillah enumerates all the blessings. Why doesn't, says Rav Moshe, or my Rebbe, Rav Moshe Shapiro says, why does the Rambam just say, say 100 blessings? He enumerates every single one. Why? The Rambam is saying that what this means is mea brachas, 100 blessings means you have to enumerate how God is involved in your life every single day. So he enumerates the blessings. He counts them. He says what they are to tell us that the way to defeat a plague where we don't think, we don't see this plague, we don't see the coronavirus, we don't see it, is to realize that we are in the hands of God. Sitting in the sukkah, we realize we don't see God, but we experience the stars, the nighttime, the existential loneliness of night, Friday night, and we have only but to turn to God. 
That's what 100 blessings are. And when he instituted 100 blessings, the plague stopped. Rav Moshe, my Rebbe, says, the way to stop the plague is to say 100 blessings, but to mean that you have God in your life, that you recognize and you have God consciousness. Blessings is not just... Very nice. When you make a blessing over an apple, where did the apple come from? From a tree. Where did the tree come from? From a seed and an apple. Where did that seed come from? From an apple. Where did that apple come from? From a tree. Where did that tree come from? From a seed in a previous apple. Where did that apple come from? From a tree. Where did that tree come from? From a seed in a previous apple. Where did that apple come from? From a tree and a seed. Where does this, how far does this tree, apple, seed, tree, apple, seed go back to? To the Garden of Eden. Which means when you're making a blessing, says my teacher, Rabbi David Gottlieb, when you make a blessing, you realize that this apple started in the Garden of Eden, that God knew that in 2020, he was going to give you this apple. And through all the lineage of tree, apple, seed, tree, apple, seed, tree, apple, seed, God knew he was giving you this apple in 2020 and wanted you to have it. What does he want from you? I look at the apple. And I go, wow, you want me to have this apple? Me? God, you were thinking of me in, in 5781, at the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve were in the, in the garden? You wanted Yisrael, and you wanted Emmanuel, and you wanted Mo, and you wanted Michael, and you wanted Hani, and you wanted Fran, and you wanted Miles to have this apple? You wanted me to have this apple? Yeah, I was thinking about you, and I wanted you to have this apple. And we say, what kind of blessing do we make? We mumble a few words. The bracha is supposed to be like this. Baruch, you are the source of blessing. Ata, you, Hashem. The king of the world. The creator of an apple for me? It's supposed to taste like faith. It's supposed to taste like a relationship with God. You can't just say a bunch of words. The antidote to the coronavirus, says Ramosha, is to have God consciousness that he is in charge of everything. He's in charge of every apple, every pear, every peach, every bee that makes honey, every piece of wheat, every kernel of wheat, every digestion that we make, Every act that we make, every word that we say, every thought that we make, that we have, everything, 100 blessings means I recognize God is in charge of every aspect of my life. That's God consciousness. When you have that relationship with God, nothing can happen to you. You're in a time warp. You're in a dimension of connection relationship where nothing can happen to you. Because you're in Devekus. Devekus means alignment. But alignment is based on Jewish law, Jewish observance, not just I believe, I believe, I feel close to God. It's an expression of how we live our lives as Jews. Making blessings is not just a religious experience, it's a relationship experience, it's a God consciousness. I am not a religious person, I'm a rabbi. But I'm not religious. I'm just striving to have a relationship with the one who created me. That's not religious. 
That's a spiritual experience of connecting with the one who created me. Humility, connection, relationship, thanksgiving. Thank you. All of Judaism is a system for humility. Judaism is not a religion. Judaism is a system for personal growth. Personal growth begins with humility. Saying thank you. I thank you, God. That's why Sukkot is called Zman Sim Chasenu, the holiday of our joy. Simchon. Because we have God looking after us. When we have that consciousness, that's what we get when we sit in the Sukkot. It's a daily living with God. It's integration with God. Yesterday on Yom Kippur, we read Master Yonah. And Yonah was chased away from God. He was sent into the fish. And he cried out to God and he said, Ani amarti nigrashti mi I have been abandoned. I have been chased away from before your eyes. But I will still yearn to look at the house of your holiness, the bed, the temple. He never forgot the temple. What's the temple? Even though you may want to, it looks bad for me, God. You're sending me away into the fish, into a big whale, Jonah and the whale. I'll never stop thinking about the temple. Why? The temple is the house of God where man meets God. I'll never. Give up that relationship. That's the base of Mikdash. And that's the sukkah that we're going to enter on Friday night. On Rosh Hashanah, God is Malkainu, our king. We crown him as king. On Yom Kippur, God is our father. He forgives us. And on Sukkot, God is our spouse. He's our husband. We're the wife. The Jewish people is the Knesset, Yisrael, the wife. The Jewish wife in the Song of Songs is a symbolic love song between the, the bride, the Jewish people, and God, the groom. We enter into the marriage with God. At Mount Sinai, we got the ring, but we begin to live together in Yichud, live together in oneness with God in the Sukkah. That's why we just had Rosh Hashanah. He's our king, Yom Kippur. He's our father. And now we get married to God in the sukkah. By living in the sukkah. We have our meals in the sukkah. We're supposed to sleep in the sukkah. We read in the sukkah. We relax in the sukkah. We live with God in the sukkah. That's called living a relationship with God. That's what sukkah is. Because it's our bite. It's our home. It's our mini temple. It's our base hamigdash, our migdash ma'at. It's a bais. It represents the temple in Jerusalem. We walk into that sukkah Friday night and you smell the air of faith. You taste the taste of relationship with Hashem. It was a home before there was a building. There was a stone there. It's a home today after the temple has been destroyed twice. It's still the Beit Hamikdash. The Shekhinah has never left there and never will leave that place because that's a place of relationship with God. Who brings that relationship? Hashem is always there. He's always there. 
But when we focus on it for seven days and eight days, then we fulfill the words of the Song of Songs. Haviyani melech chadarav. God brings me into his inner chamber. Says the Siva Shalom, Bechinas He brings us into his home. His home is the sukkah because there's nothing there but faith. Nothing there but living in Amuna and faith. When we say, Gam ki elech lo ira ra ki ata imadi. If I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. Where is he? In the sukkah. When we say that, I'm, you're with me, God, that is hashkacha. We bring God's presence into our lives. God consciousness. God is always there. But you want to relate to him? Sit in the sukkah. Make a bracha in the sukkah. And the more we believe in God's divine providence, the more he will reveal it to us. The sukkah is called Tzela Dibneham Nusa, the, the shadow, the shade of faith in the Kabbalistic words, in the Zohar. Tzela Dibneham Nusa, the shade of faith. What is a shadow? Who said God is a shadow? King David said, I am your shadow on your right hand, says Nefeshachayim. What does it mean, a shadow? A shadow follows you. God is your shadow. If you believe, he'll be with you. If you don't believe, he won't be with you. God is not going to force himself upon us. The faith of the shade, the shade of the sukkah, is the tzilcha al yadiminecha. The shade, the shadow on God's right hand. If I move here, the shadow goes with me. If I go here, the shadow goes with me. God goes where we go. We don't go where God goes. Go to the land I will show you, that I will be with you. God goes where we go. God's faith follows us. Our God consciousness, our 100 blessings, our emuda and the sukkah. And we want to instill ourselves the ability to withstand any difficulty during the year. We want to withstand our, any kind of travail or trouble that we experience during this coming year. It's going to come from there. It's going to come from the sukkah. When we instill in ourselves that amuna, that living with God, that, con that God consciousness that instills in our psyche, absorbed within ourselves, the idea that God is with us always. God consciousness. That's the Tzirla Dibnusa. So my bracha to everybody is that we should be zochet to be able to live in the sukkah, to live faith with Hashem. Not just to go into the sukkah and say words, but to breathe it, to live it, to experience it, to be like King David who, tr who trusted God in the fields and make it not a mountain. Climb the mountain of God with, with Abraham. Let's go into the fields and see God's hand in the fields. But let's make it a home. Let's make it base Elohim. Let's make it the house of God, the base of Migdash, the Migdash Me'at, where we live with Hashem. And that way we'll have strength to be able to handle life's challenges this year with Amunah, with faith, and with God's divine providence. Thank you for listening. Are there any questions? Please open the floor. Any thoughts or questions?
So we're going to meet again next Wednesday night. Every Wednesday at 8.30 to 9.30, we're going to have a VAD, a meeting of the minds, a sharing of thoughts of faith, of Amuna, of Judaism, of the soul of Judaism. Every Wednesday night, 8.30 to 9.30, please tell your friends, invite them to come along and join us on this Zoom Chabura, Zoom Chabura, the Zoom VAD. And hope to see you next Wednesday night. We're going to prepare next Wednesday night for Shmini Atzeret. Shmini Atzeret is the last day of Sukkot, the extra day, the eighth day, where we're going to try to experience the oneness, the unique, singular relationship we have with God, which includes Simchat Torah, the uh, day of dancing with the Torah. And God willing, even though we may not be able to do it in the usual way this year with uh, face-to-face, but we'll do it in a way that will connect with the Torah in a special way. But we're going to prepare for that next Wednesday night. So hope to see you. Please email me any questions you might have, yisraelroll at gmail.com. And if you want to go and visit my YouTube channel, the Yisrael Roll YouTube channel, please be a subscriber. Join my YouTube channel. I have about uh, 200 visit videos on the channel on different topics. And I hope to see you next Wednesday night. So have a Chag, Chag Sameach. Have a good Yantif. And God willing, you should have a beautiful, beautiful, inspirational Yantif of faith. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to meet you. Thank you, Fran. And you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.